Hi, this is Chris Baldwin, a.k.a. Fight Goddess with Skull Combat Sports Equipment, and you are listening to Eddie Goldman with No Holds Barred. Hi, my name is Melissa Smith from GirlBoxing.org, and I'm listening to No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Once again, this is Eddie Goldman on No Holds Barred. On this edition of the show, we once again spoke with our colleagues Chris Baldwin of Angry Afro Radio and Melissa Smith of Girl Boxing on The War Room. A video of this discussion has also been posted on the War Sports YouTube page. Daniel Kinahan has emerged as one of the most powerful power brokers in boxing. But who is he? According to the High Court of Ireland, he is a senior figure in organized crime on a global scale and head of the Kinahan Organized Crime Group. Kinahan is now based in Dubai. To find out more about Kinahan, including his role in boxing, we spoke with one of the world's leading authorities on the crime world and especially Irish organized crime, Nicola Talent. She's the investigations editor for the Sunday World of Ireland, hosts and produces the Crime World podcast, and is author of the wonderful new book, Clash of the Clans, The Rise of the Irish Narcos and Boxing's Dirty Secret. We spoke with her Sunday, October 17th. All this is part of our in-depth coverage of the corrupt world of boxing and sports governance in general. But... Before we get to that, a word from the sponsors of No Holds Barred. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart, the legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her, or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com, that's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And Skulls Fight Shop, home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls double-end bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Fight Shop. Advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. Com. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. 
Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content that's at patreon.com slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent No Holds Barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even miniskirts at the new No Holds Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. What's up, fight fans? Thank you for tuning in to the War Room. This is your fight goddess. I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Smith and Eddie Goldman. And today we have a very special guest in the house. Eddie, I need you to take it away, brother. Very good. Thank you. And, and thanks for everybody being here. While many are still discussing Tyson's fury defense of his WBC heavyweight belt, less attention is being paid, especially in the boxing media, to the man whom he said is his advisor, Daniel Kinahan. According to promoter Bob Arum, Kinahan is also an advisor to the unbeaten WBO welterweight champ Terrence Crawford, the unbeaten and undisputed 140-pound champ Josh Taylor, and WBO super featherweight champ Jamel Herring. Kinahan was co-founder of what is now the management company MTK Global, although officially it is claimed that he is no longer formally a part of it. Among MTK Global's many dozens of fighters is the unbeaten WBO middleweight champ Savannah Marshall, who appears headed to a showdown next year with two-division unbeaten champ Clarissa Shields. So, who is this boxing power broker, Daniel Kinahan? According to the High Court of Ireland, he's a senior figure in organized crime on a global scale and head of the Kinahan Organized Crime Group. Kinahan is now based in Dubai and would likely be arrested on the spot if he were to travel to Ireland, the UK, or the US. To find out more about Kinahan, including his role in boxing, we have as our guest one of the world's leading authorities on the crime world, and especially Irish organized crime, Nicola Talent. She's the investigations editor for the Sunday World of Ireland, hosts and produced the Crime World podcast, and is author of the wonderful new book, Clash of the Clans, The Rise of the Irish Narcos and Boxing's Dirty Secret. Welcome to the War Room. Welcome to the War Room. <laughs> nice to be here. All right. So look, Nicola, that book, it was uh, it was it was gripping. I was turning every page. And what fascinates me about that book is when I was 18, I was partying in the Coast del Sol because I was in the military. And fast forward 2010, I knew Jamie Cavanaugh because he was my my boxer at the time was training out of Freddie Roach's gym. So we interviewed Jamie Cavanaugh and we used to see him every day. So when I was reading that going, oh my God, I know some of the people in this book. 
it blew me away. So um, it, I had to watch or rewatch BBC's Panorama because it gave me the faces to the names that you put in the book, which sounded like, you know, it's, it's a mobster's encyclopedia pretty much. But um, one of the questions posed to Bob Yellen was, where is this money coming from? This is a, a, a company that has 200 plus fighters, right, in their stable. So how does a company like MTK Global, how can they in, in, uh, support and finance all of these fighters? Because it's expensive. I manage the fighter. It's very expensive. And when he was asked, Bob Yellen was asked, where does the money come from? He said it comes from a big pot. So now, why is it that forensics, there's accounting forensics, cannot figure out where the money comes from? Is that because MTK has not been indicted or, or accused of a crime? I mean, why is that? We can't find out where this money is coming from. Well, I suppose you'd have to start with, and by the way, before I start, I'll say to you all here that I am no expert in boxing. My expertise, as your introduction would suggest, is in crime. And I only really came to know a little bit about boxing because of my work in crime. I'm three decades working as a crime journalist and I specialize in organized crime. I follow kind of the larger crime gangs in Ireland and report on that. So this is how I have come to, to boxing. When you ask why somebody isn't forensically going through MTK accounts, we have to work out who can. Um, and if you look at where they are based, it all goes a bit tricky or certainly a bit dark after 2016, 2017, when what I would call the criminal organised crime group, or what the certainly what the High Court also in Ireland here has called them, um, had a fallout. And basically, like many very big crime groups or mafias do, they divided in two and they went to war. Um, Behind that is all sorts of allegations of, of, of touting, of money going missing, of drugs being seized and everything. But they very spectacularly went to war at a boxing weigh-in in Dublin. And following that, what was at that point MGM, because MTK started out as MGM, was still based in Spain on the Costa del Sol. And what I do know is in September of 2016, that gym was raided by Spanish police. They were investigating a murder. But in the weeks before the raid happened, the MGM financially had become a ghost. It was gone out to the United Arab Emirates, where, as far as I can track it, it moved a lot of its um, intellectual rights, property rights, out to a, a place called Ras al-Kamai, which I'm sure I'm probably pronouncing wrong. But that's one of these free trade zones where you're trying to follow the money and journalists can only do a certain amount. Obviously, I don't have access to, you know, banking mm -hmm. documents or anything like that. But as far as I could go was out there and then that's it. Nothing is available publicly, nothing whatsoever. So it gets very complex. Um, and obviously, from what you can see in company accounts as well, you can't see very much, can you? You can see what a company wants you to see. So you'll see a balance sheet with their profits and their assets and that kind of thing. But apart from that, there's very little you can actually see in company accounts. So it's for somebody um, much higher up than I am in this whole situation to look at this. I mean, 
we have in Ireland here, we have a branch of the police called the Criminal Assets Bureau, and they were set up to trace criminals' assets. If there was any money here that is seen as the proceeds of crime, it's seized, uh, bank accounts are frozen, properties are taken uh, following a court case. But where do you go with, with MTK? It's in the United Arab Emirates, as far as I know. There are gyms all over the world, but again, the structure of them is very complex. Um, but I've watched this company grow and change hands, as we've been told, and, and sold off. And I mean, look, it's very closely linked to Daniel Kinahan. He founded it, he created it, and he has been popping in and out of it, even though we've been told he's nothing to do with it anymore. Every so often he comes forward and he says, yes, he very much does. Right. And what have you said it would change hands before uh, Bob Yellen took over from Sandra Vaughn? Whatever happened to her? Well, she's still involved there. Danny Vaughn is her husband and he's one of the, the chief coaches. Um, I think he's actually based in Dubai now as well. She Everybody kind of... Dubai. Yeah, everybody moved to Dubai and, and look, the United Arab Emirates is, it does appear to be cleaning up its act a little bit at the moment. But when you say you were out in the Costa all those years ago, Dubai kind of became the new Costa. Mm. And you can see an awful lot of criminals moving out there out of reach. There's no, there's no um, arrest warrant between or no extradition treaty, say, between the likes of Ireland and the Emirates. And the reason being that you know, if if you're in the United Arab Emirates, they do have, you know, funny enough laws, like if you're caught drinking in public or holding hands, you could be charged criminally. And like in a country like Ireland wouldn't agree with that. So we're not going to give anyone back to them if they're going to put them before the courts for having a, a point, you know. Right. Um, so they're out of they're out of reach there. And Dubai, for anybody who's been or who knows what it's about. It's just, it's a melting pot of money. I mean, in the book, I describe the Costa del Sol as that. It's a melting point of cultures and money. And, you know, you have the Russian oligarchs there. You have everybody. It's quite a it's fascinating a beautiful place. City, really. Beautiful town. It's, 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 it's really interesting when you know what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, but the same is the case in, in the Emirates. And there's been a lot of criminals from all over the world who've sought refuge there. So at the same time, Daniel Kinahan moved from Spain. Um, you know, MGM moved with him as such. And then shortly after that, we were told that he had sold, well, that Matthew Macklin had sold up. Matthew Macklin would have been his business partner, founding partner. And both of them have stated that publicly, both Macklin and Kinahan. Um, they had sold up entirely to, to Sandra Vaughan. Who appeared to come from nowhere but actually if you started peeling back the layers of the onion she didn't come from nowhere um she was somebody who already knew quite a, a few people involved in that um she was a fake bake tan guru and had made millions in scotland had been um had a slightly colorful past actually she did an ex-partner who had fallen into some bother on the Costa del Sol with the Kinahan Mafia and had ended up being rescued by police while he was in the middle of a, a kidnap and he had been beaten. He was tied to a bed, actually, when they, they rescued him. Crazy. But um, yeah, it's a bit crazy. But she she did know, I mean, she knew some people. But anyway, she showed up very blonde, 
uh, very business-like, a little pink shirt with a pussy bow tie on it and said she was the new owner of um, MTK, which it had changed name at that stage. And the reason for that was supposed to be MGM in the States had kind of come after them for for the name, for the the copyright of the name. So they had changed to MTK. Um, So she said she was the new owner. And then she went to war with the Irish media and she issued a ban on all Irish media reporting on anything to do with MTK. She said that the Irish media were so unfair to MTK that there was no interviews and in actual fact, she wasn't going to even sign up another Irish boxer. She was that incensed by the way um, we, we insisted on linking her company to Daniel Kinnan. So in other words, she was the first person really who came forward looking to wipe the slate clean and, and looking to say, there's nothing to see here. Um, but at that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was at least 100 boxers on the books, many of whom were right. still citing Daniel Kinnan as a manager, um, many of whom would advisor. still tweet <laughs> advisor. Yeah, no manager at that stage, he was a manager. They were still using that word. Um, and... You know, many of them were thanking him profusely after fights and things like that for all the help he'd given them. So it was always a bit, it was always a bit blurred, the whole thing. A year into this ban on the Irish media, um, all was forgiven and uh, everybody was back friends again. And on this situation went until Tyson Fury really blew it up as a, I mean, it, it was a story that was, bigger then than Ireland, bigger than the UK, bigger than Europe. Tyson Fury called him out and thanked him for um, brokering the biggest deal in boxing history, he called it. Um, And I have never believed that that was something that Tyson did without sanction. So you think somebody told him it was okay to say it and then had him delete the tweet or the whatever he posted? Well, he posted a video, which is still... It's available still and still used and I mean it went millions of people watched it and I don't think he deleted it maybe he did at one point but at that point the cat was out of the bag anyway um but I don't believe for one second that Daniel Kinahan was named as the man who broke with that deal without him sanctioning that right um you know and what he you wants saw credit. after it he wants credit for it most definitely and Maybe he does deserve credit for it because maybe he has brokered it. He probably has. I'm not denying right. he has. You know, boxing has allowed that happen. Um, what you saw after that was Bob Arum stepping forward and defending him Arum. to the hilt. He described him as one of the best guys he'd ever met. And, um, it, you know, it became almost He called him honorable. He called he him honorable. <laughs> That's crazy. Bob Arum's old. Oh, come on, Bob. You're he's a longtime crook, though. So, you know, he's he's another one. I feel like a lot of legitimate businesses are like the mustache of crime. You know, you've got this legal business, but in the on the background, you're doing dirty shit. Bob, we see you. That's all I got to say about that. All right. <laughs> Melissa, you got any questions? Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that I noted in your book is you you have a quote from the American mafia guy, Sammy the Bull Gravano, 
where he's talking about how uh, his then John Gotti, who was the New York sort of crime boss of the Colombo family, wanted to get into the boxing world. And, you know, it, it, it read to me like a, a playbook for what Kinahan eventually did, which is start a boxing organization, legitimize it. It becomes a place to funnel basically his drug money into, you know, where does this money come from? But beyond that, I mean, Gravano even talked about how they wanted to buy at that time, they were negotiating to buy Gleason's Shim. This is in the 1980s, which is a a huge brand in the United States and probably globally at this point for a legitimate boxing gym. And what he did, Kinahan did, was start MGM in 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 Spain, sort of taking out a little bit of what the monk did in 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 Ireland in Dublin with the Corinthian Club, um, and then built it up and built up a solid cl- clean reputation, if you will. Um, but meanwhile, he's now. It's now around the world. Uh, you were talking about the murky corporate relationships. They're all individual LLCs in different countries, in different cities. So it's you, t- you need a forensic accountant to sit down and really understand what all of the hierarchies are. And they're also involving themselves with young kids. So <laughs> with boxing academies and everything else. So what is... From your perspective, what are you seeing here um, in, in terms of your long understanding of, of the place of boxing in the Irish Mafia? Yeah, I actually, when I when I discovered that Gravano testimony to the U.S. Senate, I was seriously interested in it because I actually didn't realize it was there for a long time. And it was like a penny dropping for me when I saw it. It was everything made sense. And you're perfectly right about the Corinthians Boxing Club originally in Dublin here, which was set up by another veteran criminal and very, very well-known criminal here known as the Monk, uh, Jerry the Monk Hutch. Um, And yeah, there's never original ideas though, is there in the world? I think there've been so many floating around. We always say that in in media, we're really just repackaging everything, aren't we? And presenting it in a different way in everything we do. But um, yeah, I certainly think if you if you look at what the Gravano was saying, and even down to the detail of, he spoke about how the mob saw it as not just a way to launder and wash their cash, not just a way to sort of. I mean, look, they, look, they enjoy boxing for a start. Sport, you might as well be laundering your cash through something you're actually interested in. But on top of it, he speaks about how. They saw it as a way to meet influential people. And Gravano actually says that they got to meet or he wanted to meet Trump at the time um, through the the hotels, et cetera, that he owned, that they were putting on the the boxing matches in. And the same could be said because Daniel Kinahan, while he's in a different part of the world, he has been sort of floating around all these Ekistan places and meeting very powerful people. And in actual fact, following Fury's announcement that he was his advisor, he brokered this this fight um, with with Anthony Joshua, which has yet to happen and seems to be in. I can't follow all of that. You mean you think the drugs world is interesting? My God, everything's in and out. But uh, he, um, 
you know, sorry, I've lost the train of thought there now. I was talking about that he was he was meeting influential people and um, to get his foot in the door. That's why Gravano's people wanted to meet Trump because the ultimate yes. goal was to get it to construction. Exactly, and you have you have Kinahan out there meeting and and sort of you know he's he's legitimized within the world of boxing and he's he's um you know it's it's a fascinating thing to see it. I think the difference is that. In Gravano's time, in the mob's time, well, they had loads and loads of money. They didn't have drug money back then. They had lots of it. But now, the amount of money, there's been a gold rush in, in cocaine money into Europe in the last 10 years. There's been this perfect storm, actually, for Kinahan and the growth of his, his mafia. He has come together with other significant players in the European cocaine market, with the Dutch Moroccans, with the Bosnians and with the Italian mafia. Um, they have joined forces in order to buy bigger loads of drugs from, from, from Colombia and to ship it in bigger, bigger amounts. And it just means that it keeps the costs down for them. They can control the price and they are estimated to have taken over more than a third of the entire cocaine market in Europe, which is billions and billions. So he's made a fortune. So if, let's just say hypothetically, if Daniel Kinnan has money to, to wash and if he was attempting to do that through the boxing world, uh, you'd be seeing the growth of unprecedented terms, bigger probably than the growth would have been if the mob were putting their money in all the way back in the, the 1980s. Because it's just gone crazy. I mean, Kinnan in 2010, when the Spanish police first the Spanish and, and other European police first tried to shut down the mob and they um, there was a multi-agency aggression against them, which saw a lot of them being arrested, brought before the courts. They were at that point in 2010, now bear in mind that's a decade ago, estimated to be worth more than 100 or 200 million. So they're back in business very quickly after that supposed shutdown, which didn't work for many reasons, and we're 10 years on and you have just had a situation that, I mean, Europe is coming down under cocaine and still we haven't reached saturation point. There's talk of Europol are issuing reports year after year saying it's still growing and the problem is just enormous. So, and that's before they move into other markets. That's only the European market. These are a global organization. So he's got a lot of money. So now he has a war council. He's got literally a drug council like Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lasky, and Bugsy Siegel. Uh, they did that okay. shit back in the day. Um, uh, Eddie, you have anything you want to ask here? Let's take it to you. Yeah, in, in the this, this simplest terms, aside from the fact that they like uh, boxing, obviously a lot of people like boxing, how does this work with the money laundering? How does what's the actual process that makes this so important financially for them to be involved in boxing in the way that they are? They just like boxing. They could they could go to a boxing match, you know, or something like that. But it's obviously much more than that. But there are the questions that are hanging there, Eddie, to be honest with you. And, and they're the kind of things that I cannot say categorically what is happening. 
but I can present facts and, you know, you can look at the connections that are there. MTK is a business that would say it's doing absolutely nothing wrong. And I know that there is some proceedings happening against this heredium management in the US and they have denied all allegations of money laundering. Um, they have denied financial connections with Daniel Kinahan. Um, the most recent outing they had when they were questioned about it, MTK said that they had no financial entanglement with Daniel Kinahan. They admitted that a number of their boxers were being advised by him, which seems to be a loophole in, you know, the, within boxing that mm -hmm. you can be an advisor, not a manager. I don't know what the difference is. You have to have a self, license to be a manager. Yeah. So that's so he can be an advisor. So they found a way for him to do that. But they are insistent that they are not a criminal operation, that they are a legitimate sports uh, company. And, um, you know, at various times over the last few years, sometimes they try and distance themselves from Kinahan. Sometimes they come in backing him to the hilt with all the boxers out saying what a good guy he is. So, uh, you know, I mean, I couldn't say to you here and now, this is exactly what's happening with the finances because I simply do not know. I do know that um, Kinahan's organization is under investigation in a number of jurisdictions. And I do know, and I can tell you that 60 associates or members of his organization have been jailed here in Ireland for serious charges, many of which are murder. There's been at least three or four murder cells that have been um, been 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 brought before the courts and there's multiple convictions from them. There are people in jail in Spain and in the UK. His drugs enterprise has been dismantled here and in the UK, um, while other European police forces are continuing to work together. They have what they call a final takedown plan. And I do understand that that is in place for the next year. So the final takedown would be the management, the, the top structure of the organization. Wow. So they told I mean, how does how does like so now Kenahan has a, a warning that in the next year he, he's his whole business is going to be taken down. They announced that. Well, Kinahan is aware that he's under investigation in that way for a long time. That's why he fled Europe in 2016 and hasn't set foot back here again. Um, he is he would be confident, actually, Kinahan himself and his circle around him would be confident. There's no way they're going to get him because he's bigger than them all. But, you know, in the same way, there's a sort of an inevitability to all these things. You could say, I mean, you look in, in your own country with Joachim El Chapo Guzman, whose trial I followed and whose, you know, story was just so incredible, the escapes. And, you know, he was at one point, he appeared bigger than everything, bigger than the law. And where is he now? He's stuck in solitary confinement in a Brooklyn prison. And... Um, on his way to Supermax. But um, the question is, is, you know, since Kenahan has had his refuge in Dubai and in the United Arab Emirates, the question is, is can there, will there be pressure made to bear by the European Union, by the United States, even by, you know, Colombia to um, ex start to exert pressure for them to give him up? to say, you know, it's really not worth it anymore because this is, 
this is starting to, I mean, in, in your writing, you talk about the impact on just the Irish Republic itself. I mean, to have this incredible murder spree in the middle of Dublin is extraordinary. Um, there is a uh, People in there are, are legislators in, in the Netherlands who are in hiding, right? Who are under police protection because of the reach of the mob. So I'm just curious from your perspective and from what you've been able to glean in your reporting, do you see that as part of what this picture is? Yeah, I mean, look, after after the, the sort of the big blow up of Tyson Fury and, you know, saying that he was his advisor and all that happened after that, like, Bear in mind, Kinnahan then announced himself that he was going to work with in Bahrain. He was going to head up a sports firm in Bahrain. And very quickly, um, because of the political pressure put on them, the, there was a, a statement issued. And I remember looking at it at the time and it was issued by the royal family of Bahrain. Right. So that's their government to say there was no way they'd be working with Daniel Kinnahan. So he lost that job. And any ability to go to Bahrain very quickly after that would have been, of course, political pressure. So around that time as well, our parliament, our government is called the Dáil. And um, our then Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, actually got Taoiseach would be the prime minister, got up in the Dáil and stated categorically that they were in, in conversation, that they had had meetings with um, authorities in the United Arab Emirates and that they had discussed the situation it's like anything it's the, the the to to bring down the scale and size of the irish mafia when it there there, there began to that, that global cooperation to bring it down started was so massive it's not something you can do overnight and they they do actually have this quite interesting policing plans on how to do it because you have to remove certain aspects before you can go higher up the rankings. Because if you leave all the hitmen on the street and you take out the boss, the first thing they're going to do is be ordered for prison to go around and kill everybody concerned. So it's a very structured thing. It's not haphazard, while a lot of it is obviously can be a little bit of luck when they have, you know, our, our good intel rather than luck. You know, they're following a hit team, they're watching. And one of these hit teams in Dublin that they were watching for months on end they were so chaotic that they kept planning to go and murder this guy, but one of them would go out and drink and they wouldn't get up in the morning or they'd, they'd miss the, 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 the lift over to this guy's house, like chaotic street soldiers. It's the same across the world. Those guys at the bottom of the, 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 the rungs are very low IQ, you know, are working for very little. They don't really seem to understand exactly what they're, they're risking when they go out to kill for some of these mafia bosses. But my understanding is that there, there is a plan. And you see, it's not only an Irish plan. What you have going on in the Netherlands at the moment is, again, something that has taken a long time. They've been trying to dismantle the Mokra Mafia, they're called, which is under a guy called Ridwan Taji. And Ridwan Taji was one of Daniel Kinahan's business partners. They met up and lived together down in the Costa del Sol, and they were part of this, what the DEA are calling the uh, European super cartel. So in the Netherlands, you have these trials going on. You have Rido and Taji behind bars. You have him on trial along with 20 other members of his gang. You have similar uh, investigations going on in Bosnia. But their other partners are called the Tito and Dino cartel, and they're trying to dismantle them as well. 
But these are just massive. If you think about it, if you can try and think about it as they're a corporate entity, they are just dealing in an illegal substance, but they are a corporate, big, huge corporate entity that's buying and selling products. So there's a huge amount of staff working for them, you know, and there's a huge amount of areas that need to be dismantled because otherwise you're going to turn around. If you, if you remove a little bit of it, you'll turn around and you look to your left and you turn back and the weeds are growing again where you pull them. So, you know, you have to go at it in a very structured, proper fashion. I think COVID has delayed a little bit of the final takedown and probably um, it just, COVID was a bit of a nightmare for everybody, I think, you know, except, of course, the criminals who found ways around it and kept and kept bringing the drugs in. But um, I'd be confident that um, Kinnahan will be will be brought before the courts here in Ireland. I hope before my my life is over, his ass is dragged into court. <laughs> but how did you feel about the info wars that came about with uh, these pages popping up to spew, you know, oh, Kinahan's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. How do you feel about the info wars? Because I feel like they took a page out of Putin's propaganda book. <laughs> I'm ex-Navy, so, you know, that's what it sounds like, looks like to me. Um, but how did you feel about the info wars that was going on between these two websites? Yeah, I was fascinated with it because I kind of started realizing it was there when I became part of it. And uh, initially it started up, one started up, which was kind of from the Kinahan side. There's one side called, we call the Kinahan faction, the other called the Hutch faction in this war. They were a grouping together until they fell out. So they all knew one another, basically. And it made what happened here in Dublin, the feud here in Dublin, even more difficult because it's quite a small city and it's quite compact in the centre of it. And you had two groupings going to war who knew everything about one another. So they all knew each other's mothers and fathers. They'd probably been to one another's houses. They knew the routines. They knew everything about each other. So it was a nightmare really from a policing point of view. But it started shortly after that shooting at the way in the Regency Hotel attack, which would have been an attack, an attempt on the, the life of Daniel Kinahan, which didn't work out quite that way. But a very senior lieutenant of his called David Burns murdered. Kinahan got away and uh, thus started the retaliation, which resulted in 18 murders in a very quick period of time. But um, like very quickly after that, these anonymous Twitter sites started up giving out information, sort of what looked like, you know, some of it you, you could see was nonsense, but some of it was really very close to the bone and information that wasn't in the public arena like information that was part of guard investigations or that maybe just journalists might know or whatever. And um, I got thrown into the middle of it, got called out at one stage. So I kind of, what is this exactly? And when I had a look at it, I realized that it was a platform or a forum that was certainly inciting violence. It was, who was it talking to? It wasn't really talking to the general public, even though it was a public platform. It was talking to journalists, it was trying to sort of, it was basically trying to direct the narrative. And a lot of the narrative was, uh, if a certain person gets killed, this will be the end of the feud. But they wanted, it seemed to me that they wanted that in print in a national newspaper or coming from a, a, a journalist. They didn't want it coming from this anonymous site. They wanted to try and get that in to the media and into the 
as a piece of information, source information for crime journalists. Crime journalists, you have to remember, do operate on this very peculiar world where we have to meet people in odd places. We have to constantly be aware that a lot of people talking to us shouldn't be talking to us and could get killed for talking to us. We have to speak to other individuals who are maybe working and can't be seen to be talking. So a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of work done in the shadows anyway, you know. But um, in recent times, because of a lot of encrypted communication, people are a lot more comfortable talking to you through that. And you can understand that because it saves, it lowers the risk of them being seen with you. But at the same time, from our point of view, it completely lowers our abilities to work out where they're coming from, which is super important because everybody comes to you with a piece of information, has an agenda. I mean, right. there's no point of being naive about it. They have an agenda. They either want this guy down the road to be raided by the police and have his drug stash taken from him. They might want, at the worst case scenario, they want somebody to be killed because a piece of information will be that loaded uh, that if it's put out, it'll have them killed. Or they might just not like the other guy. And that's kind of, I'm fine with that. You know, if the piece of information is true, if I can back it up with other sources, um, I'm okay with that. If they just don't like somebody, that's just okay. But with this, you were missing who these people were. You didn't have a clue where they were coming from. You gather which side they were coming from, but you didn't really know. So you were kind of blind. He was passing out pieces of information that a journalist would have been blind with. Now, some of the stuff did get into the media. I was watching it very closely and I could see it kind of filtering through. Um, but a criminal investigation actually started into it, uh, into this site, and it kind of quickly shut down. I think whoever was behind it realized they were being investigated. Maybe the, you know, maybe they got fed up, whatever. But a similar thing then kicked off on the other side uh, called The Whistleblower. And that was a site, a, a Twitter site that was like it was literally some of the stuff again was ridiculous nonsense and just sort of having a go at somebody's looks or maybe their weight gain or something like this, a rival criminal, obviously. But some of it was actually really deep intel that was held within the guards. That was scenarios that had happened, fallouts that had happened that nobody knew of. So it was very clear that this was somebody who is now rivaling the Kinahan organization, but who had the secrets of it. And that's, why I say to you that these two groups that went to war were once together and knew everything about one another. Mm -hmm. So you could see, but I just think it's modern. It's, it's just the modern crime world that, right. that, you know, if we look at organizations like ISIS, they've used propaganda. They've very much used, they have their own propaganda wings and a drug gang. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And videos and all this sort of stuff. And they put it out and they have their Twitter sites and everything, but if you actually look at that and you, you sort of put it into an organized crime gang, they've so much money. Of course, they can afford to have a PR division of their corporate entity. They have a marketing division. And this is actually what it is. But it's really important, I think, for crime journalists in particular to be aware that that is a thing. So if you're seeing this information, it's probably not just from an interested underling who feels that this information could, should come to the fore. There's never any good really in, in the 
the reasons behind people from the criminal underworld doing anything. So it's it's very important journalistically that we are aware that these are narratives they're trying to feed through the mainstream media. So so you in other words, you have to be extremely discerning. But you you also talk in your book about how, you know, switching now to the legitimate side, if you will, with MGM Mm. prior to MTK, um, having a relationship with IFL TV. And in terms of reporting on their boxing, which then gives positive um, spin to the organization. So you've got on the one hand, feeding information to journalists in sort of nefarious ways to try to disguise intentions. But then you have this whole PR plan on the legitimate side to try to keep things afloat that way. Is that something you're seeing across things besides the boxing business for the Kennehans? Well, I certainly don't know of them investing in media, if that's what you mean, but I thought that was very interesting what happened with that IFL TV thing, if you looked at that, because there was somebody, so if you go back to Tyson Fury and when he was, before he was signed in with Daniel Kinnan, I mean, his former manager, Ben Davison, clearly states that Tyson was on, he was at his lowest ebb when Kinnan came in and saved him plucked him from what was going to be oblivion and put him back into a training program to which has resulted in, I mean, nobody can say it's anything but a miracle what's happened to Tyson Fury. It is an amazing thing to see somebody who was that unhealthy, unfit and all the rest of it come back and do what he's done. But he was at a very low ebb. And Davison says that Tyson was not only at a low ebb kind of from mental health point of view, but he was also financially at a low ebb. And he was in debt and he owed this and he had court cases and everything. And Kinahan sorted that all out for him. And I reckon that you could be amazed what getting your finances would sort for your mental health. You know, it's just the way it is. You have very high stresses like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really hard and, and stressful. And the same was the way in the IFL TV, Cass, Coogan Cassius, who was running it, had said himself, and he has spoken about this, that, you know, he'd really, this was his dream to have this, and he'd been going around and trying to stay in hotels and trying to find the money to put himself up so as he could cover all these boxing events all over England. And he was even having difficulty practically putting the petrol in the car to get there. So he was really about to throw in the towel, wasn't he? I mean, he couldn't make the thing work financially for himself. And sure enough, at that point, Kinahan and Macklin come in and they offer him a sponsorship deal. And all of a sudden, he's got access to all the MGM fighters. He's probably, you know, you get a sponsorship deal, you get better equipment, you get better everything, don't you? And you get paid. So, you know, you can't blame any of these people for doing what they did or for taking the money. It's just, for me, the whole thing is, I think boxing itself as a sport has to look at itself and how... It, it just doesn't seem to be regulated properly. And I'm not naive enough to think that other sports haven't been hit up by criminal. I think football as well is, is concerned about the amount of investment in it. But the fact of the matter is that boxing just seems to have every loophole there is. And there's an acceptability, a historic acceptability that your criminals are really just tough guys in the ring. And that's all fine, too, until you look at exactly what you said, Melissa, earlier about the kids. Because 
I don't know about the US, but here in Ireland, boxing clubs are in very working class areas. I know lots of kids who have got involved in boxing and it has disciplined them and helped them just through that period of time in their teenage years when they could go one way or the other. And they found mentors. They found good mentors, good people. One good adult can bring a child to adulthood themselves. And I think that's why it's important that those clubs and that sport should be protected because there's no kids in working class Dublin anyway playing hockey or, you know, other sports like that, rugby. It's, you know, sports here are very much class related, you know, and boxing is very much um, popular and they can connect with it, the kids. And you've got these guys looming around. And as far as I'm concerned, these gang bosses, these drug bosses are operating like paedophiles. They recognize the vulnerable kids. They observe them. They stand back and then they move in and they will bring them in to hold drugs for them, to do this for them, to do that for them. And it's exactly the same as that. And if you have people involved in boxing, you are also involved in organized crime, knocking around these clubs where you're hoping to bring kids into adulthood um, you've got a problem. Yeah, I agree, especially since, you know, the it's one thing when you're in a, a little seedy club in the middle of nowhere or in a small city. Um, but when the kind of clubs that M- MTK are providing are these really high end fancy places with lots of money uh, that seems to just materialize um, and the and the boxers that they have get lots of money and but there's no understanding of what they're giving back in the percentage of their purses. Is it 5%, 10%, 100%? We, we really have no transparency. And now they're moving into women's boxing, which has historically been, you know, at the, at the bottom end of the barrel, if you will. And suddenly there are opportunities um, for some high-level fights. So you have um, Eddie Hearn's matchroom boxing with some very excellent, Females, uh, undisputed champions such as Katie Taylor, who in in terms of Ireland is just the queen of of sport, and and thought of as a clean person in sport, and projects that image, and yet surrounding her is all this other stuff. And now you have MTK signing champions such as uh, Chantel Cameron, Savannah Marshall, who Eddie Goldman brought up earlier, and what. Uh, and then the question is, how do we project what this is going to mean for these women as they join these kind of organizations? Because they're being given care and feeding in a way that other they have never been given in the past. Mm. Um, they are not necessarily, they are also work, a lot of them are working class girls who came up through, Olymp- through uh, sports organizations in their own countries. And what happens to what is going to then happen to our, our on this desire on the one hand for, you know, million dollar purses for these kinds of fights, but with folks like MTK really fueling some of that, one has to question motives and what the impact is going to be on sport in general. Um, and then, as I said, this patina of women on top of it. And your problem is that if you have drug money there, if you do, and again, we have to state that we do not, we just know the connections between MTK and Daniel Kinnan. But if you have one grouping, shall we say, in any sort of a a competitive world that just have 
way more money than anyone else. You can forget it. They'll crush them. So it 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 just here there's been a couple of uh you know boxing managers and companies who have basically suggested that they've been kind of been put out of business because they cannot compete. There's absolutely no way they can pay the money because it's just not actually, if you sit down with your maths, it's not possible to pay some of this money that's been paid. I mean, I've been speaking to people all over the the country here who have told me that some of them have been approached by, by MTK and they haven't gone with it. But my God is attempting, you know, and obviously all eyes here on Jessica Harrington, our boxer who won at the Olympics and uh, she isn't going professional yet, but everybody's kind of watching her. She's a lovely, wholesome, really great girl, working class girl. She's a, a cleaner in a hospital and uh, just really down to earth and everything a boxer should be and everything the sport should be. Um, and it seems that there's this poison out there waiting for so many of them. And it's all really about greed, isn't it? And it's all about the money. And none of the regulatory bodies, quote unquote, in boxing are doing anything about it. You had this situation recently in the UK where uh, Eddie Hearn pulled Matchroom from Sky Sports to go purely on in the UK and Ireland streaming on the zone. And a lot of people felt, well, that was the end of Sky Sports Boxing, just like HBO in the U.S. finished with it. Instead, you have this this new, all these new promotions coming up like Boxer. And all the, all of a sudden, all these MTK Glow Fighters are on Sky Sports. And they have a, a full boxing program. And yet you have the British Boxing Board of Control. What are they doing about it? You had Tyson Fury, who we mentioned earlier, fighting in Las Vegas. You have the Nevada State Athletic Commission. What are they doing about any of this? And the only thing that seems to be happening is an individual lawsuit. You mentioned the uh, Heredia management lawsuit because they're claiming that MTK poached uh, fighter Jojo Diaz, who is still under contract to them, and they and they claim. That, they, that MTK gets the money because it's laundered drug money. So they're able to entice it, a young, undefeated, rising prospect like, like Diaz to go to them. They're saying he's still under contract to them. They, they of course, have denied all this, and it's still going through the, the lengthy uh, court process. But you had the California State Athletic Commission there, too. What are they? No, nobody's doing anything about it. There was one mentioned towards the end of the, the BBC Panorama documentary, and if people haven't seen that, I really recommend it. Somebody posted it on YouTube, not the BBC, but it's, it's still up on YouTube, that the USDEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, is investigating this whole situation. But so far, you know, if that's true, still in the investigation stage, and as many people have said, boxing is, there's, there's no central regulatory body. You couldn't imagine this happening in almost any other sport, the exceptions, I think, being MMA and, and kickboxing. But in just about any other sport that you could name, they wouldn't allow this because somebody, one of the, the big sponsors or the networks would say, no, we're 
not having this, but instead they're expanding the reach of these people all over the place. And uh, it's a very dire situation. At the same time, it overall, it hurts boxing overall because the whole sport just declines year in and year out more so than just, you know, the pandemic, as you said, hurt Mm. everybody, but this is something different. The sport has been in, in serious decline, spiraling downhill for the last several decades. And now you have this coming up. What is Sky going to do, which is now part of the U.S. corporation Comcast, which owns NBC and which is also the Olympics broadcaster in the U.S.? Are they going to continue with this? Is somebody going to say, no, we're going to pull the plug on this? We don't know. We don't know where this is headed, but it's not it's really not good for anybody except MTK Global. Yeah, and look, journalists are there to maybe shake the tree a bit. I mean, that's all we can do. And after that, it's up to it's up to politicians. It's up to the police. It's up to obviously boxing's regulatory bodies to get together. Or you know, the advertisers that that buy advertising and sponsor these shows for people to to I don't know to vote with their with their wallet and, and, and stop, you know, refuse to buy these channels or whatever, but you can't change the world. It's just, I agree with you totally. I think boxing has, is in a dire place. There seems to be an awful lot of good people who adore boxing. And I've spoken to so many of them and, you know, they keep sort of saying, well, what can we do? What can we do? And it's like, I've kind of done what I can. There's not much more. I, I could literally do. I have literally laid it bare. This is what's happened. These are who these people are. These are these people that uh, are being called out as the good guys. And yet nothing happens. So, I mean, I don't know. There's there doesn't seem to be any will. Um, there doesn't seem to be any will there for anybody to 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 do anything about it. It just to me, it just seems to go on and on and, and nobody bats an eyelid. And interestingly, was one aspect of what was happening here really for the last five years, because it took a while for this story, this story of Kinahan and the links to MTK to become global, you know, and it didn't happen immediately. We were knew about it from, I remember in 2012, looking down the, the ramp into uh, the first MGM gym in Costa del Sol and wondering what it was. Was it just a bit of a, a gym for the boys because they always sort of had, a gym and a breakfast place to go to afterwards. And, you know, but so I've watched it grow and I've watched everybody ignore it. And, um, you know, Sky just seemed to be able to issue a, a statement saying, you know, there, everybody seems to say, but he's no convictions, but he's no this, he's no that. Everybody just comes up with that. It's a very easy thing to say. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who went to their graves without convictions and weren't good people or weren't people with morals that we should have been engaged with in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I don't believe Kinahan will go to his grave without that. I'm just pointing that out, you know. Um, there's just, I just think there's too much money involved. There's too many people earning too much money. I can tell you that from people mixed up with Kinahan in the boxing world. I did have a very interesting conversation with somebody I have to be vague um, just to protect them basically but somebody that would be close to all of it and 
what they said was that a lot of people have become so entangled with Kinahan that they can't detangle themselves. They're afraid of him. And they would love if the police would come in, arrest him and put him in prison because it would solve all their problems. And then they could continue and just say, oh, it was just him. Wasn't it? You know, um, you know, I'm yeah. sure then actually it would suit everyone. I'm sure then Sky could say, well, could he's gone now. And yeah, yeah he's everyone could now. go few. Everyone could go few. So, you know, it actually kind of made me laugh a little bit that everybody, where a lot of people around him in boxing who were making a lot of money were kind of waiting and willing for the to see the police lift him out of it. You kind of wish that they'd leave him alone for another while and let them stew on the problems like, that are there of their own making. So be careful what you wish for in terms of financial support. Yeah. <laughs> you might get it. Listen, as late as last night, Jojo Diaz, who fought uh, on a on a disowned card in the United States, um, won his fight over a fighter named Mikey Garcia, and and he was called out by Kevin Haney, who's a a boxer managed by Eddie Hearn. And the response Diaz said was contact MTK global. Let's do it. So, nice. you know, he could ride just as easily said contact Danny. Can you yeah. Exactly. Look, this story is, I mean, I am fir- firmly convinced that uh, I'll be getting on to part two eventually when I dust right. myself down, because in a way this story is, you know, there's more than a final chapter left in it. There's a lot left in it. Just getting started. Uh, Just getting yeah. started. Well, when you're exactly. ready to come back for part two, we want to have you here. Okay. <laughs> and tell us about also, there's a, I found a very humorous part to this otherwise unhumorous story where you uh, had to sort of dress up as a, a criminal to investigate in Spain some of the, uh, some of the goings on and the, the layout there that that's detailed in the book. I found that that kind of funny. If they ever make this into a movie, that'll probably be one of the funniest parts. Have you been approached well, about this being your book, uh, Clash of the Clans, becoming a film? Well, it's just literally out. It's only out here. Like it's only gone on sale here in the last couple of weeks. So um, I'm just sort of seeing how that goes. It's actually gone straight in as number two in the nonfiction here in Ireland, which is brilliant in the first week. So that's unprecedented. But yeah, everybody, I mean, actually funny enough, you should say that Eddie, like I, okay, there's boxing and you've got organized crime. And then I'm a female reporter working in the middle of it. And it's sort of a lot of, a lot of women who like crime sort of don't really like gangland crime. They just prefer sort of, you know, I don't know, I won't call it regular crime, but anyway, they, they, they just find it all a bit rough and tumble. So in a way, what I tried to do was put a little bit of myself into it as well, a little bit of my own experiences. I think people are always fascinated by how do crime journalists do their job. And this huge, big ball of secrecy has actually come up around it. And actually, we do our do- jobs quite ridiculously in many ways. And, and that incident in Spain, when I was... Uh, sort of trying to look as if I had lots of money from my drug dealing ventures with my drugs. I was trying to be basically a, a drug dealer's mall, I think. Um, that's just one of the ways. I always say, like, when it comes to reporting on this stuff, there's many ways of skinning a cat. There's plenty of ways of trying to get to the heart of the story, really, and the information. Um, so I hope it was enjoyable anyway. 
It was. You yeah, I, it was, and I, I. Go ahead. Yes, I recommend everybody get this book. I hope they make outside of Ireland the print edition available too, because on Amazon it's just on a Kindle edition. Yeah. And I think we're going to nominate you for what it's worth for our boxing journalist of the year, even though it's more about organized crime. This is so totally intertwined with boxing. The title Clash of the Clans was not only about the Kinahan and Hutch feud and all the other feuds going on, but that was also the name of the show that was supposed to take place when the uh, Regency Hotel murder took place and that whole chaos that was the name of the card and the, that card of course was was canceled so there's just such a it's interconnected i i think we can call this uh it's such a great non-fiction book but it's also in large part a boxing book and i haven't seen anything in terms of books like this in media i think the maybe the BBC Panorama show, which also, by the way, I don't think was ever shown in the United States. As I recall, they show BBC Panorama in the United States a couple of weeks later on BBC World News, but I don't think they ever aired that episode. I could never find it here. So somebody had to put a bootleg copy up on YouTube because unless you're in the UK, you can't get BBC one or two, which, which it was on. So that that's, so, so keep them coming because you're not seeing too much of this stuff at all. There have been people in the boxing media talking about it. A handful in the U.S., Kurt Emhoff, who was, was uh, quoted, you quoted him in the book. He was quoted, he was in the BBC Panorama show. Wally Matthews wrote about this. I've done a, a couple of things on this with uh, Declan Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with him. The investigative journalist was now a professor at University of New Haven. There's been a little bit of stuff, but not a whole lot. And it's not something I didn't see anybody discuss it when after the Fury Wilder fight and everybody in boxing was discussing that fight and Fury. I didn't see any mention of the situation with Kinahan. Well, I suppose, as it says on the on the, uh, you know, on the front of it, it's it's the dirty little secret, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's boxing's dirty little secret. secret. That's exactly what it is. Yep. It's yep. Open secret. All right, my beautiful people, if you guys don't have anything else for the very talented Nicola Tallett, then we are going to wrap this show up. It has been a wonderful time. We've enjoyed our time with you, Nicola. I can't wait for part two. And I, like I said, if you come to LA to talk to any producer here about producing this as a film, I will gladly be your bodyguard. Okay, great. <laughs> yes, you need one. To have that, it's great to have that squared. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So look, we're going to wrap this up, people. You guys have a beautiful day and we are out. Peace. No Holds Barred is brought to you by LennyHart.com, the home of Lenny Hart. The legendary MMA and sports announcer, voice actor, singer, actress, and comedian. Lenny is also known for her jazz vocals with her Lenny Hart Jazz Cabaret Band. For more information, to book her or to order a custom message from her, go to LennyHart.com. That's L-E-N-N-E-H-A-R-D-T dot com. And... Skulls Fight Shop, 
home of the Skulls Double End Bag, the perfect punching bag for your combat sports training. Skulls Double End Bags provide a realistic striking target and help improve speed, distance, and timing skills. Hang it and hit it right out of the box. No pump required. Skulls Fight Shop, advancing combat sports equipment for the next generation of fighters. For more information, go to Skulls, that's S-K-U-L-L-Z, fightshop.com. And Adolfina Studios, original art prints and handcrafted fine jewelry. For more information, go to Etsy.com, that's E-T-S-Y dot com, slash shop, slash Adolfina Studios, that's A-D-O-L-P-H-I-N-A Studios. Also, please subscribe to the No Holds Barred page on Patreon for much more No Holds Barred content, that's at Patreon.com, slash Eddie Goldman. Now, you can also support our independent, no-holds-barred journalism by purchasing items such as t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, mugs, pillows, masks, and even mini-skirts at the new No-Holds-Barred with Eddie Goldman shop on Red Bubble. It has also been recommended to me that people choose sizes on the large side, as some items may run small. You can browse all the items for sale and then place an order at redbubble.com slash people slash Eddie Goldman. Hello everyone around the world. Welcome back. This is Eddie Goldman, No Holds Barred. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to follow my site, my blog, the easiest way is go to eddiegoldman.com. Dot com. For No Holds Barred, this has been Eddie Goldman.